Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Hello, everyone. Hello, Kieran. Uh, Welcome to to Rocket with myself, Nick Easter, and my co-host, Kieran Bracken, still in lockdown, still keeping ourselves entertained and occupied. Um, On the agenda today, the topics of conversation, um, what's been in the papers and on the news, as far as rugby is concerned, not much because there isn't much play, but there has been a little bit of discussion regards the salary cap breaches and the findings of the Lord Miners report. So we'll be discussing that. Johan Ackerman, um, you know, making an exit from Gloucester, having signed the contract extension last year. So we'll certainly discuss that um, as much as we know. Um, and there's been reports that the Premiership 25% salary reduction is set to stay. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So Nick, um, you know, some great feedback with our um, our podcast especially in Luxembourg we're number one in Luxembourg come on Luxembourg we, we should do a live event in Luxembourg don't, what do you reckon I think we should get out there that'll be awesome hey, we'll, we, we'll be, we won't be able to get back in the country for uh, oh, no, I don't 14 mind, days I don't mind a lockdown in uh, in Luxembourg but before we talk Eastern about so, all, all of the uh, current issues uh, uh, about rugby and there's lots to talk about there's, of course, it's great to hear Finn Russell uh, might be back for selection. Uh, postponement of the July test. We've got uh, Rugby Australia needing $15 million to, to get by. We've got a law minors, minors report. But, but before we do, it, it would be good just to talk quickly on mental health. It is Mental Health Week um, this week. And I wanted to, to I suppose ask a question of you um really did you ever i mean i've been quite open and honest about my uh, battles with um with mental health but did you ever have any issues when you were playing or you know any problems with the pressure of playing rugby um fortunately i didn't um kieran but i know how you know the pressures um, external, internal um, can play a massive, massive factor in a professional sportsman's life and even more so now. And uh, yeah, I think it's great that we're, you know, we, I think we should have more than just a week sort of um, bringing the subject up and, uh, you know, making people aware because it's becoming more important in society. I mean, you know, given the situation we're in at the moment, you know, it's one of the sort of um, arguments, uh, you know, anti-lockdown arguments, isn't it really as well? You know, the yeah. being of people and, uh, you know, we don't know much about it still, but, you know, just without getting too deep into it, I was very fortunate. Um, I think maybe, uh, you know, due to my sort of like entrance into the sort of professional game in England, you know, I didn't make my England debut till I was 28, um, Premiership debut 25. I played um, in the Championship for three years before that. You know, went to university, gap year and all that sort of stuff. So I, I feel lucky in terms of I had quite a sort of grounded, rounded sort of introduction. You know, I wasn't mm. put on this pedestal and made this celebrity and, you know, poster boy or playing in front of massive crowds at such a young age where it can sort of hit you um, and, you know, be quite overwhelming or maybe later down the line it gets a little bit much for you. Um you know, I, I lived a pretty normal sort of, uh, you know, life of, you know, going to school, going to university and everything um, before mm. deciding 
um, to become a professional rugby player. I know you you were an amateur rugby player to begin with, but I think you made your debut at a higher level much earlier than me. Um, I'm not saying that this makes a difference at all, but I would I would say that if I'd made my you know if I'd been thrust into the limelight at an early age, whether it be in the Premiership or England, you know, in your sort of late teens, early twenties, it could be very very different. Um, you know, the mounting pressures and and requirements um, on your body, on your mental state, you know, from your coaches, from yourself, your own expectations. Yeah. Um, and, you know, demons can sort of creep in um, a, a lot more possibly. Um, you know, I'm not saying there's an answer or anything like that, but I, f- I feel quite lucky um, from that point of view that my late um, entrance into sort of the highest level or the elite level of the game Mm. Might might well have helped me on on that front in terms of my preparation and everything. But yourself, yeah, I mean, um, you know, you, you talk, ju- you know, just you know, give our listeners an idea of you know the struggles you yeah. you you came across. Yeah, uh, yeah well, career. look, you see, the thing about mental health is everyone's different, and it's it's interesting you say, and you may well be right that, that the fact you introduced at twenty eight, <clears throat> you know, may have been uh, you know. Uh, uh, a helpful factor in, in not developing any sort of, you know, mental health concerns for me, you know, I played at, I was 20, 21 when I first played for England, uh, first cap against, against New Zealand. Uh, but for me, I played for England from 93 to 2003. So literally I did 10 years and every year, you know, I faced adversity, uh, whether it be adversity in, whether I'd be doing my uh, uh, law final exams when I was first played for England <coughs> at university, um, but also sort of, you know, internally. And I think everyone's different. And I, th- and I think you strike me as a sort of person who probably wouldn't be too hard on yourself or probably would be, you know, measured in your thinking. Um, and, and, I, and I came across quite a few players in my career who were like that, who could sort of put everything in perspective. But Everyone, everyone's very different, and, and I don't know whether I would have suffered if I went on to be a lawyer uh, and worked in the city, and whether I would have had mental health problems anyway, irrespective of the fact that I didn't do that and I went into rugby. But in the rugby sense, you know, why do I think that I struggle later on? And I'll, I'll get, get into a bit more detail what I struggled with. Um, I think that every year I was under pressure, obviously, having played for England at 21. Every year I, you know, obviously wanted to keep playing for England. And I was I was battling with myself all of the time about how well I was doing. I was very hard on myself. And I think every sportsman has that. Everyone's a sportsman. I would go out, score two tries, get man of the match and be disappointed I missed a tackle. Yeah. And I think... You, that, you just won the perfect performance, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're striving for that. That's right. And um, and I think, um, I suppose also when I was in competition, whether it be Dowie Morris, Andy Gomesall... Matt Dawson, Austin Healy, whatever. Now, over the years, you know, you get in, you play, you think, have I done well enough? You play quite well. And and then you obviously strive to get better and strive to get better. And the things, the adversity that comes are things like that you can't control. So, you know, I remember playing, you know, probably playing some of my best ever rugby and then suddenly I, I did my knee and I was out for sort of three months and then I was back in and then I had to fight again to be- get back in the team. I get back in the team with England and then suddenly um, I'd lose a bit of form and then I'd get dropped and then I'd have that psychological sort of being hard on myself. I need to do better. I need to work harder. I, and then there was also sometimes the injustices. So 
say the Lions tour in 97. I was playing for England at the time. Matt Dawson was, wasn't in the squad with England. Uh, I, I believe I was the number one and, um, you know, he got selected <clears throat> and I didn't. And I, I found that quite hard. Um, and I always found also throughout my career, you know, I would have, I'd go two steps forward, you know, three steps back. And all the time, this pressure builds up. And what, what happened to me is probably different to, I would say, quite a few players. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I know of one or two players who suffered with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. I think a lot of sportsmen have this sort of tendency to lean, to, to have these sort of problems. But I started getting into rituals. It sounds a bit weird. I used to get into these rituals about going to bed. And I'd go to bed and I would think I need, I read somewhere you need eight hours sleep to have optimal performance. So I used to try and get into these routines of going to bed at a certain time and waking up at a certain time. And I started to try to control it. And once you start to try to control your sleep, uh, it's not, <laughs> you got no yeah, no, it's got no the reverse the effect. Thing, and the worst thing is I'd be roomy with someone like a forward who'd be snoring. So what yeah. I used to do is I used to leave the room and go to the physio's room and try and sleep in there, thinking I need to get my eight hours sleep. And then what happened is, this is the worst part, is I would go to the toilet, go for a pee, and then I'd go back in bed and I'd go, right, I've been for a pee, now I can sleep. And then I'd go, I need the toilet again. So I'd go back out, I'd go to the toilet, i come back in, and then I'd go, right, I'm going to go to sleep now. And then I'd go, I need the toilet again. So I go again. And so it got to the point where I was going to the toilet about 180 times in the night. Okay. So I wouldn't sleep. So then I started taking sleeping tablets. And once you get sleeping tablets, it's quite addictive. So I would think I need a sleeping tablet to sleep. So then I was training and playing on four hours sleep. And then with all of that, suddenly going to the toilet became literally on my mind all day, every day, for about three or four years. Even in the, even when I was playing for England, oh, the this, this is the night. This is the night before a game. This isn't every single day, night before. No, a no, 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 no. So what happened was it started out the night before a game, and then suddenly it went into every, every single time day. Tra- every time you're training the next day, or or every all, single night, all day, every day, every single night for about four years. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and, and the worst part of it was, I, well, I thought I was going mad. I mean, I'd be in a team meeting about a big game against you guys. What do you, what do your wife think of this? Was she was oh, she aware well, of it? Did she bring this up yeah, at the time? Yeah, yeah. She was like, "You need help," and I was too embarrassed. I was like, yeah. "Well, what what do I do? Do I go to the doctor so I keep going to the toilet?" I didn't know. Yeah, what when was this? Is this sort of like late nineties? Oh, this is you know, this is like two thousand and one. Yeah, two thousand two. And then um, I got help and then I I saw a psychologist and then I saw a psychiatrist. And then at the same time, I was getting all these little rushes of adrenaline. You know, before a game where you get that adrenaline rush? Yeah. I was getting that during the day randomly. And I was like, wow, that's like a proper adrenaline rush. And when you add it all together, I was pretty sick. I wasn't very well. And then I went and saw a psychiatrist and they said, well, you've got anxiety and you've got uh, a severe case of OCD um, which is affecting your everyday life so you know I was managing on two three hours sleep a night I was training and then I was thinking about this all the time but the worst part was you know things like um, you know my, my son would be born and and whilst I'd have the delight of my son being born for example you know I would spend all my time thinking about going to the toilet I know it sounds really mad, doesn't it? It sounds really weird. And something's 
seriously wrong then. So I got help and it, it took a long time and the RPA were really good with me. Um, but it was, it, it, it just is an example of, I suppose, of uh, someone suffering in silence. And I think this mental health week is important that people do, you know, sort of speak to people uh, and try to understand what, you know, it's very different for for everybody. It can be someone with OCD, it can someone be you know, manic depressive, it can be someone, you know, in a certain way. You just don't know what's behind closed doors with people. But no one knew when, when people heard about it. They, no one knew. And I just... I just suffered in silence. And I, was, I have to say the biggest thing about it was I was just so embarrassed to say anything to anyone. I don't mind now, but this is years later. Look, we're now, you know, this, you know. When did, uh, did, did you, publicly, when did you? Um, only only uh, last year, yeah. end of last, last year. Last year. Yeah, how, yeah. How many, because there was always a stigma, wasn't there, about men, uh, men yeah. uh, you know, just suck it up and get on with it sort of thing back yeah. then, wasn't it, 2000, 2001, especially? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, especially in a rugby environment, very sort of macho environment. It's yeah. Like testosterone fuel. How many players, you know, not players you played with necessarily, but around the world or, you know, even sort of maybe sort of second, third division players, have you kept tabs on from around that time that have actually revealed, look, you know, I, I had issues as well? Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, you know, uh, when people, a few, you know, big name players, contacted me and have have spoken to me about yeah. their mental health issues and again i think the the underlying <clears throat> common denominator is one of embarrassment of one of never wanting to say anything um and 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 i think the biggest thing actually in the rugby environment is it is a macho environment it is dog eat dog it's a playground environment and you know, it would never you don't be want to show. Point. You don't want to show weakness show or weakness. vulnerability, do you? You go out, yeah. You go out there on the pitch, and you're a gladiator. You strap yourself up. You go out there, and you do your best. And, and mental health is one thing. Is God, I would, I would be so embarrassed to tell anyone, tell anyone. And and I think players now, in the way the world is, is becoming more open. And I think people are becoming more honest. And I believe, I believe the RPA. There's a massive hotline at the moment. There's a lot of players getting in touch who are struggling. You know. So I mean, I, I think. The, thing is you will have come across people uh, that you played with that would have suffered in silence and I think you know I think you know sport is a job in its own right you know going out playing for England and playing for your club is a job in your own right and I think you know mental health you know affects everyone it's you know it doesn't doesn't discriminate between the lawyer in the city the bin man the sports guy you know and I, and I think it's important just you know, people talk as much as possible to and get help and don't be embarrassed. And, and the thing is, you know, that that's probably the big lesson for me um, is that, you know, I should have got help a lot, a lot sooner. Um, but, you know, you know, you live and learn. And I think the important thing is people think that the, us sportsmen, that we're really tough people and that we're, you know, we can we can take the pressure and deal with it because we're gladiators. Well, no, we can't all the time. You know, the lucky few like yourself can but people like myself can't. But I, but on a, on a more positive note, I suppose, um, this week, I did that two things. Firstly, uh, someone sent me on Twitter so, uh, something about you, a stat. I think it's uh, Johnny Stats, Opta Stats. Nick Easter, 31 carries in, um, in 2015. The world record amount of carries in one World Cup game. It was against Uruguay, so I just I just want to sort of clarify... Who you were playing? Oh, mate, that was the only game I played in that World Cup. Oh, was it? But it had most. Yeah, you, you had the most brought tries. Brought in for that game, mate. Brought in for that but game. You scored, but also you scored a hat trick, which is the oldest hat trick ever in a World Cup. 
So that, I have to say, bravo, well done. That was pretty impressive. But here's another stat that, not a stat, someone also sent me. I don't know whether you ever made it to top trumps. Do you ever make top trumps, Nick? No, we never had. What, top trumps or rugby? Top trumps and rugby. Well, listen, they, they had one in, in, uh, in 2003, top trumps. So uh, someone sent me a card, and I'll, I'll hopefully Rocket uh, uh, underscore podcast will send it. But um, someone sent me my top <laughs> my top Trump card. So here's the thing: you know, what would you choose when you get Kieran Bracken? <clears throat> so age thirty two. So that's quite a good thing, isn't it? Because I guess the higher, the older you are, you yeah, might exactly. I mean, yeah, is it yeah. sort of experience matters? Yeah. yeah. So, so on the age, I did all right. Height, not so good. 180 centimetres, not good. Don't do height. The other one was uh, my weight. It had me down at 82 kilograms. Don't do weight. I'm not winning on many, you know. Uh, you can imagine. And then the other one was tries. Three, that's not so good. I don't Point. think that's winning you many cards. No. <laughs> hey, you could have been up again. I don't know, Jason Leonard, if you had Jason no. there. And yeah, I'm screwed. So, so the only thing I had, which was vaguely all right, which uh, was 51 cats, quite good. And then age, 32, that's it. Everything else you're going to lose on. So I did find that quite funny. I'll send it to you. What would yours have been? So you'd have done all right on your age. Well, it depends on me. Is this, um, was this 2003 World Cup squad? Yeah. Well, yeah, so, it was, yeah. 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 So you're, you're saying 2015? So World what Cup, would you, you have been? I'm just thinking with you. Your which age would have been Which World Cup? Yeah, 2015. Your age, your height, your I'd weight. I'd have smashed, mate. My age, yeah, I would have listen, smashed. Your weight, smashed it out of your, the water. Your, your age, your height, right? Your your uh, your caps, you were 54. Your, how many tries did you get altogether? Uh, nine, nine for England. See, that's pretty good. So I'm saying you'd have done all right, actually. You'd have done all right. But how bad was I? How shit was I? <laughs> Can you imagine getting my card and going, ah, oh, shit, right. Well, yeah, mate, mate, unfortunately, they don't put accuracy of pass down there, do they? Yeah. <laughs> of course they don't. So let's just talk about, uh, you know, back, back, to, uh, back to rugby, you know, um, you know, the, the sort of the, the big thing now is really about the future of rugby. In, in, bearing in mind the miners' report where they now want to say, which is quite interesting, they want to get rid of the marquee players, they'll review it. And I think in a way that I can understand how salaries have increased now because of the marquee players. A guy comes in, Pitao from Bristol comes in on a million million quid a year. Some players are on 200 grand. They're going to go, well, I'm nearly as good as him. I should be on 400, 500. So I see that might be a reason. But we're at a watershed point now, I think, with the miners' report, with COVID, with no, you know, sort of future of the game in the next three or four or five months of having crowds coming and watching, the money's going to get less. I think they're going to have to vote for a smaller salary cap. And the big thing now, the players having, I believe, taken a 25% pay cut. Some of them deferred their salaries. But it sounds like, in a way, that the clubs want this 25% pay cut to stay. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's... There's murmurs going around that there's a meeting this week between the Premiership clubs um, about possibly fixing that. Um, we've we've heard it, Queensland Reds um, and Super Rugby side um, they had a salary reduction um, during Huge. the crisis, and yeah. three players decided not to take it, and they are now no longer on the books. They've started training; they're about to start training next week or two. Queensland Reds, and they've asked yeah. those three players not to turn up, and they will not get paid from then on in. Um, you know, wow. this is a blanket Australian rugby union decision. 
Yeah. Um, you, you're being selfish, greedy. You're not understanding the situation we're in. Um, I don't know what they've said, but we, we know exactly, you know, the, the type of, you know, behaviour that would encourage. Wow, that's, 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 that's wow. Play the gut. Um, and I think it, it is a sort of force majeure, isn't it? Where, you know, contractually, whether if you do, if you do ask players, you know, in the Premiership or, you know, in the Pro 14 or France or whatever, look, you've got to take this 25% cut, they're not going to go ahead, whether... You know the, the clubs actually are in a strong position for it, but I suppose you know that's a conversation for another time. But I think so players, got, players, players, should... players have just got to realise this. This this is the situation, and twenty five percent. I'll tell you an interesting statistic that came out from the Lord Miners uh, report was four years ago. No, not four years ago. So two thousand and thirteen. He said two thousand and thirteen. Four players in the Premiership were yeah. paid three hundred thousand pounds or or more. Now yeah. it's ninety nine. I know crazy. that is. Absolutely Crazy. astonishing in terms of the exponential growth in salaries. And yeah. look, it's always market forces, but the market forces now are there. There is a much smaller market, lads. Well, in a way, Nick, in, you in know, a... there's no one coming to the game. There's no one buying buying the shirts. Yeah. No one, you know, buying food or drink there. Sponsorship, you know, that's yeah. going to be reduced massively. TV rights is going to be reduced massively as well. You've got to understand that the market's not as big as it was, and you are, your salaries are driven by the market forces there. Uh, yeah, because South Africa, you know better in South Africa, but I believe is it Marks the hooker who's uh, decided not. Can, to, yeah. He's instead of taking the pay cut, or I think they gave them the option that the clubs gave them the option to that to reduce their salaries, and players could actually terminate their contracts. So that's right. He's gone to Japan. And a few of the players have decided to, to go elsewhere. But here's a question for you. I think you're right in the Premiership, and there is a push with all the clubs to reduce the salary cap to the 25% pay cut is there to stay. But in a way, will there be some clubs who will act like vultures? Here's a question, okay? So in France, France may be looking around, especially with the marquee players, especially with these now players on 25% pay cut in the UK, will they become quite predatory and go, hang on a sec, we've got no salary cap, don't worry, come over here. I mean, that that's a, a potential danger, isn't it, for the game to actually, for players to just think, right, I'm going to France to make more money. Mate, I think look, it will happen. Um, yeah, I think you'll also get um, a less even spread of quality teams in the Premiership. So the beauty, I think, of the Premiership yeah. up until now was how competitive it was. And on any day, actually more than any day, not just any given one day, you know, yeah. the play, uh, teams at the bottom could easily be the teams at the top of the table. Okay. And it was so yeah. competitive. That I think it will become less competitive because the self-sufficient yeah, clubs, the clubs with big backers, your Bristols, your Exeters, they're in a very financially strong position after this. Um, and it will become a little bit more like the Premier League in football where you will have, you know, the sort of top echelon and, you know, they will stay there for a while and money will dictate the quality of their squad along with other things like the culture and the coaching. Japan, I think, and France will come cherry-picking our best players because players also, they know it's a short career. You know, they've got to make as much money for their family as possible before they retire. It can end in any moment, can't it? Mm -hmm. And they've got every right to, to shop around. Unfortunately, the priority here is to get the clubs and the game on a stable financial footing. Now, if that means you can have to close off relegation, which I think they probably need to do. I've argued against that beforehand, but I think this is a different situation now. If you close off relegation, okay, you might finish last for the next four years, but and you might have a reduced squad number. You might have, you know, not 
quite as you know many X Factor players in your squad. It's going to have to take place because you're going to have to get the league and the clubs back to being financially stable before you can grow again. And it will take its toll in Europe. If you look at what happened in Europe when England didn't win since 2007, the Heineken Cup when Wasps won it, Saracens then won it in 2016, and let's not go there and how and Saracens have been the only English team to win it, and we know why they won it. Let's be honest, okay? Is yeah, but just can I, is, whoa, 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 whoa. No, hold on, hold on, mate. No, no. Uh, so the salary cap has increased. Marquee players are brought in to bring the X Factor type players and to allow these English our English talent and the other talent to actually have the salaries to keep them in the country so we could fight on both fronts. We're going to have to go back to being maybe bit part players in Europe and maybe a good run or lucky with injuries to your star players and you might be able to achieve the ultimate goal. But I think that comes a distant second to getting the finances back on track and the stability of all the stakeholders in the, in, in the Premiership. Because what you don't well, want is you, you, you don't want any of the clubs, you know, having a fold. And no, what we understand, no. you know, that's very, very close to happening with a few. Yeah, well, I, I do take umbrage with the old Saracens thing. You've got to be fair. Just be fair in one respect is that the Saracens saga, you know, Saracens won in Europe. Okay, let's say let's say they were let's say they were um, overlooking the salary cap when it came to the domestic league. But when you compare the Saracens salaries paid to the French or to the uh, you know to other leagues, say in Ireland or whatever, I'm just saying that. They did it fair and square. There was no they way... They didn't do it fair and square, mate, because yeah, everyone no else in England who's competed in Europe... We're not going to get into this argument because it was another time <laughs> we discussed it, but every other English club that's competed in Europe competed, well, you hope, within the salary gap restraints. And those are the restraints when you're going to Europe. Not not having that, there's no salary okay. gap in Europe. Well, okay. but either way, back to the point. I think, you know, keeping your best players, yes, you want to do that. Um, trying to win in Europe trying to keep a competitive product in the Premiership is going to have to play second fiddle at the moment. Yeah, but let, let me... Okay, but let me, let, me, let, me just, let me just put something out there. And I think a few weeks ago, we didn't get a chance to talk about this, was uh, Ellis Genge was, uh, was quite critical of the RPA and about how the 25% pay cut was brought about. Uh, he's, he's now talking about setting up his own sort of players, professional players union. association union, which is quite interesting. But again, psychologically, I want you to put yourself back. It's all right from us in our um, ivory towers looking down on the players at the moment. Psychologically, it's quite hard to imagine the players, and I don't know what the Harlequins players would be like, but sitting down in a room, psychologically taking 25% less than you were used to, and even even more in some cases. Uh, I'll be interested to get your take on the Alice Genge idea of you know of coming together, uh, but I think I think there's a there's a dawning coming whereby unless they make changes and unless this happens, uh, then there won't be a game to talk about. So it's, it's interesting though from a player's point of view, it's going to be tough. Those players who sign the contract and they'll be getting their own independent legal advice on on what you know, what they can and can't do. And Australia sounds like they've taken a very hard stance, but the players, like you say, have to be realistic, don't they? I mean, they just have to take it on the chin. I mean, I remember at Saracens, we were asked to take a pay cut because um, irrelevant to the, of the salary cap, we were, we were getting players from abroad, for, you know, on lots of money. And at the end, Nigel said, look, we can't sustain this. Everyone's got to take, I think it's a 20% pay cut or something, which we, we all did. Um, so it's, but I tell you what, there was some, real tough conversations in the room where 
you'd have a South Africa and New Zealand that's saying, I'm sorry, I've come over here. I could have gone signed for this, you know, for someone else, but I've come here and that's my, that's my contract. I've got a contract. I'm sticking by it. And we had to thrash out over four or five days how we were going to do this. So we, it was, it's so difficult. You can't just. We had, um, when we got relegated in 2005. Um, yeah. I think the Monday, Mark Evans called us in. No one knew what we were getting into. Obviously, now, you know, a few more sort of established sides like your Northamptons have gone down. I mean, your Newcastle, London Irish gone down as well um, and, and survived and actually been stronger for it. Um, but back then, they were making predictions of a third of the staff getting cut and players, I can't remember what the percentage was between 10 and 20% probably, a pay yeah. cut. Um, in the end, the top earners took, took the pay cut and there wasn't really any grumblings because they also felt responsible for the position they put them uh, in. Yeah. It's very different because you haven't played well enough to stay in the league and actually there's a bit of responsibility on you, not only to stay at the club and help you get you back in there, but also yeah. actually have you performed well enough to earn. You, but this is different money. now, isn't it? But this, this, is very, this, is very, this is very different. Look, um, what will be interesting, I think, and we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, is I think... Um, it was discussed before about the salary cap being reduced for the next uh, period, whatever, year, two years, three years, whatever, until they get back on the field. Yeah. I think Bristol, Bath and Exeter all said no, all refused. And I think for that to happen, from what I understand, for it to le- legally happen, all premiership clubs have to agree to that, yeah. um, which is quite interesting why it's been brought up again um, this week in terms of that the, there might be an informal meeting regarding this and it looks like the way it might go. Um, because if you were in the Bristol or Exeter, who I understand, I, I'm not 100% sure, didn't furlough their players or were the last two um, and are on, you know, very, very good financial footing in, in comparison to everyone else, is you would be thinking of the opportunity in this, as we've discussed before, where they can generate yeah. the best players from other clubs, help relieve them of their financial burden, but, you know, reap the success during you know during the next year, two, three, four years, or whatever, until you know the rest catch up. I know you don't like talking about Saracens at the moment. Uh, they are going to. I like talking down, about Saracens, mate. Oh, I you won't go on about the salary. It's, cap. Yeah, it's just, a, just, just, just you know, when it was, I, I find it. I, I, I listen. I agree. They're getting relegated. I think it's the right thing, but you know, I think the fine was excessive. I think, I think the. Um, you know, I think the fact that the report said everything they did wasn't deliberate. Anyway, look, they've had, you know, they've been, they've been, they've been, they've been caught, and you know, it's. I think the fine is so so draconian that you know, having the literally the, the other clubs sort of judge and jury at the same time. But let, let's not go there. But here's a question for you: uh, When we talk about predatory teams, it's interesting when you look at Saracens when they're going to go down into championship do you think do you think they I think Maratoji and Maku Vinopola haven't pledged uh, to, to to stay at Saracens there on they might go on loan do you think do you think they'll ever recover or do you think actually like you say I mean one or two players are going to Bath I think uh, and a few other clubs once you once you leave somewhere like Saracens go to another club it's quite hard because you form friendships you form bonds and actually it might well be the end of Saracens as we know it from the player pool that they have. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, just before you start now, I think another interesting part of the report, Lord Miner's report, was how if any indiscre- or is indiscretions, if any transgressions of the cat are found again, 
the director relegation. of the head coach. Well, we, we'll yeah. get on that. But the players will also be accountable now. Yeah. You look at that and you go, hold on a second. We were saying on here that the players know. I mean, you were. I was like, the players know what's going on in the contract. Even if they're agent via, or, you know, via their agent, they haven't said, oh, we're going to set up this company for you. Or we're going to pay you this through the corporate hospitality. Yeah. You know why they're doing it. You also know exactly, hold on, I'm getting this amount of money, but we've also got so-and-so, 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 so-and-so here. They know exactly what's going on. They're not completely blind to it, thinking, all right, we're doing everything. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is Lord Miner's come out and saying, right, they're they're now going to be just as culpable, just as responsible for this. And you're thinking, you know, does that sort of make that first, uh, the the findings of the first or the last report when they got relegated softer? You know, they actually let them off a little bit in that you understand what I'm saying yeah, yeah but uh, yeah. anyway on your on to your point it's going to be hard for him Brad I think it's going to be very very hard for him isn't it um, you probably know a lot more about the club than me in terms of the Alliance ground their assets um, their catchment area um, look they'll they do a wonderful amount to be honest with you they do a hell of a lot of good stuff Saturday. one of the things they do is the community and the academy well, they got a school, you know. They set, you know, they set up a school, a full-on school. Yeah, amazing. So their community, their school, their academy stuff mm-hmm. is top-notch. You know, arguably, you know, the trailblazers in the league, and I think the Premiership rugby um, and you know all the stakeholders, they understand what they bring. Look, they've been more than slapped on the wrists. Um, they will have this blemish, this black mark against them for a long, long time. Um, and it's going to be tough for them to recover. But I think with that holding in the grassroots and what they're doing for grassroots rugby um, and the area they've got, sort of North London, out, out to the east, mm. um, you know, I, I hope they come back. You know, I, I just I just, I just, think it's going to be, I think, you know, some of these players like Marrow, maybe even Owen Farrell, I know he's got a longer contract. You know, Mako, a couple of players going on loan. I think it's going to be hard for them, especially when they, you know, now now if the salary cap reduces, which we all think is likely to happen, it's going to be hard to keep the Marrows. It's going to be hard to keep, uh, you know, Owen Farrells. Uh, and, and, and we've talked about the vulture clubs, you know, Europe, even Japan, there might be a lot more money. But it's it's really uncertain times to, uh, to, be, a, to be a player. But... Um, you know, just looking at the world rugby as well. I think the hardest job Saris is going to do, Brax, if they lose those players, is actually getting yeah. promotion on the pitch. Because well, next- no, 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 no. Next year, I think there's enough enough of those big players. Like, oh, oh mate, I'm telling you, mate, the championship. Having played in it, the championship is very is a different style of rugby. It's a yeah. tough, tough place to play. I'm not you talking. Know, you, I, I, listen, I think I think they're going to go. You, and think, there, I, there are teams there. You know, you got Ealing training at Trailfinders. You know. I'm sure this will probably hit them, you know, given that they're a sort of travel company and everything quite badly. But, uh, you know, if you've got the other sides that are full-time professional there and set yeah. up, uh, you know, it's, it's not a gimme. It's not a gimme to get promoted uh, in, from that okay. championship. I'm telling you, if they lose a lot of these players and they rely on the No, young, no, no, they won't. There's, they won't some gnarled, there's some gnarled old heads, gnarled veterans there. Yeah, yeah. Different yeah. style of rugby, different pitches. I tell you what, the the atmosphere no, the grounds I, I, when they go away as well will be quite vociferous. No, I think only get a few thousand. I, yeah, I think you know, I, that, no, that, that's not a foregone conclusion. Oh, uh, okay. Well, look, they've got Billy Vanapola, they've got Owen Owen Farm, they've got quite a few others who've committed. But you know, there's there's uh, there's quite a few players who will go on loan and will they come back? I just I think I'm talking about post. I think they get I'll get get promoted next year. But post that, if the Mara goes and the Maku vote. 
uh, goes and a few of the players think, oh, I quite like playing at Bath. It's going to be interesting how they develop. And also, if the salary caps come down, there's no way they'll be able to keep Maratoji and Makovinopola or both both the brothers. They just won't be able to do it. So I'm just worried about the future of Saracens of where they're going to be. But but interestingly, around the world, I get your take on on, on, on you know the impact of this COVID is so seismic with Australia really struggling, uh, South Africa really struggling, New Zealand really struggling. Looks like they do want to try and get this calendar a bit more aligned now that they have the chance because rugby is going to be put off for a while. But the interesting thing, I want to get your your take on, on Super Rugby. Um, Eddie Jones said that he kind of feels that it, it started out with 10 teams, 13 teams, 15 teams. Now, no one's really watching it. No one's following it that much because you've got your people over you're over in Argentina one minute then and actually everyone should go back to basics and play because I think in New Zealand now they're playing this sort of like a super league within themselves and actually there's probably more interest in Australian rugby at club level probably in in New Zealand at club level and at, at the franchise level actually it looks like a restructuring of the whole world rugby in a way doesn't it potentially yeah, look, in the, in the Southern Hemisphere, I think it's a great opportunity for them. Um, thinking about it a lot, you know, speaking to guys down there, having coached there. Um, is, look, first of all, in Super Rugby, it, I used to lo- love, you know, yeah. love watching before a game. Yeah. I used to get inspired. I probably actually learned just as much watching Super Rugby yeah. right, than, um, Netball. Uh, th- th- than I did in the week. Because you'd yeah. see certain players, because you know the skill level and the audaciousness of it all, it was just ridiculous, wasn't it? it was just Amazing. attack, attack, attack. Bit powder puff in defence, to be fair, but uh, it was it was attack, attack, attack. The skill level, the pace, and everything. And you used to sort of pick things up and talk to your teammates in the change. You go, did you see that sort of what they did there? Yeah. Yeah. Like we do that today, and we call it this. You know, have a go at it. You know, brilliant. Um, it was much better when they played each other once. It was the three superpowers of Southern Hemisphere. They played each other once. Um, so you got you got gen, genuine interest. The rarity was there. You had you had the atmosphere. You had the hype. It wasn't same old, same old. It wasn't diluted. Um, however, given the situation, I think you've got an opportunity now and they will restructure. I think South Africa have an opportunity to go to sort of an old the old Curry Cup. Yeah, um, with yeah. six sides in it. So you've got the two Pro 14 sides um, and the four Super Rugby sides. So you, you can have a proper competition there. Bring back the old-style Curry Cup. Because funnily enough, when I was over... Love that. Love the Curry Cup. But funnily Love enough, that. when I was over there, for the Curry Cup, um, which you were shorn of your, your spring box, you got... Sometimes you got more crowds there than even a Kiwi side or certainly an Aussie side coming over. For yeah, Super really. New Zealand has spoken about yeah them doing this year uh, you know sort of a Kiwi Super Rugby just between the Kiwi sides but I think they might um, have a sort of cross Tasman league sort of domestic yeah. leagues they get that interest Argent I don't know what's going to go with Argentina you know they are sort of geographically not in no man's land but in a tough tough place aren't they but I still think there's an opportunity to have a okay so you play your domestic competition a lot like us. You yeah. qualify then for like a, a short super rugby competition. Yeah. And I tell you what, you'll fill the stadiums again then. So if you say you, you curry cup six teams, you go around the top four, yeah. you qualify into the super rugby. The top six of the Aussie and Kiwi, you qualify into there. Uh, maybe Japan have a side. Maybe Argentina have a side. 
Yeah. And then you just have everyone plays each other once, semi final, final, that's it. And you, you and are home and away. Think, and you, think, you know, there's not many games there, but each game matters. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what you know. It's why what you're saying. Each game matters, and it's become it's become no one really cares. And I think people would get behind and fill the stadiums if they're playing locally more. And then if there's less games at the the higher level, semi-finals, finals, or quarterfinals, like you say, I think people will come and watch, and there'll be more money in it. And again, it'd be really interesting whether the northern hemisphere could sort of collide with it as well, and you can have a match off or something. I don't know, but it's interesting. We are at a watershed moment. We talk about, you know, COVID and government and what's happening every day. It's always changing. But this is a, a seismic event. But from a rugby point of view, it's a great opportunity. Although, you know, uh, Billy Bowman's got a great opportunity to sort of make changes straight away. And the first thing, the first change that came out was, we're not going to allow tries on the post uh, anymore. I was like, geez. That's so. like one of the smallest <laughs> issues in the game. It, it wasn't even an issue oh, in the game. Oh, God. And then, and then my kids were like, well, why are they going to do like the American football where they have the sort of why where the post goes back? And I was like, no. Hey, did you see, um, but quite funnily, obviously, as soon as something like that comes out, you get all these memes and all that sort of stuff, these mini videos. Yeah. And uh, obviously in a game, a recent game before, obviously, this law obviously hasn't been, you know, um, instilled because there's been no games. But uh, so someone sort of posted said, well, here's a solution. There was no need to change the law. And literally a player, when a side was camped maybe two yards from the line, yeah. post, um, a player ripped off the post pad. That one of the defending players just ripped it off and threw it into the dead ball and got back into the sort of three-point stance <laughs> where the defender oh. go. And he thought, well, actually, <laughs> that's, that's usually initiative, isn't it? That's quite innovative. Oh. Do you think? Listen, do you think the? Um, do you think we should be on the um, on World Rugby Board because we're we're coming up with all the solutions here. Twenty five percent cut, uh, less games. Um, you we've, know, restructured, we've restructured. We've restructured the Southern Hemisphere season. We've, we've restructured it completely. Um, yeah, so I think I think I, I think this podcast means we should be we should be working at a higher level, Nick. We should be putting uh, world get, to rights. Get, get us on there. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. You've been listening to Rocket on Friday. We're joined by uh, Spencer Matthews on uh, Rocket Podcast, and believe it or not, a singer, a dancer, a friend of mine, Duncan James. Here is a teaser to those talks. Luckily, we back we're backed onto a golf course, so it's been it was quite handy because. I could take my bike, my mountain bike, and go riding around the golf course. I'm sure the golf owner is going to be annoyed because they've got bike marks <laughs> everywhere now. Towards the very end of my drinking, I, I, I could do. I was doing a bottle of whiskey in, in <gasps> my, and, I, and I'd still just be sat there like watching a film. And, and wow! And I'll have another whiskey, and I'll have another whiskey, and like. Yeah, it's just what's the point then? It's so bad yeah. for you, but also your body. Like you know, if you drink like that to a certain degree, you'll die young. The brand new rugby podcast, Rocket, with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So, just um, you know, in terms of news other than sort of salary cap and when we will will we start again? Is Johan Ackerman leaving Gloucester? Um, quite a surprise. Yeah. Joined in 2017, came in. Uh, you know, Gloucester was struggling. Laurie Fisher sort of left, didn't he? I remember the game. We beat them there with Harlequins. And he resigned straight after the end of the previous season with about three or four games to go. And, you know, that game in and, you know, by all accounts, it was a really, you know, great culture. They were playing a fantastic brand of rugby. 
not so great the recent results I think uh, what was it four wins in in 13 I can't five wins in 13 or something before the COVID um, but we know how tough you know the premiership is they were also competing yeah. in the Heineken Cup as well you know not the sort of Amman Cup uh, sorry not Heineken Cup the sort of Champions Cup not the Challenge Cup and uh, yeah sort of he re-signed an extension of two years um, late last year and all seemed good, you know, to carry on the work he's done and, you know, he's off to Japan. There's something behind the scenes we don't know about. I'd love to, uh, I mean, I, I was speaking to Joe Simpson uh, a couple of days ago about a few other things and he didn't mention anything about it, but um, you don't sign an extension and then suddenly sign for Japan, unless it's the money, but it sounds like there could be a breakdown of communication with the owners. I mean, I, I always felt, you know, with him signing, you know, the one thing that they, they lacked was a bit of direction in what they were trying to do, you know, get, you know, Cipriani's been outstanding for him. Um, and, you know, some of the pack, Pelledri's there, they've got some great players and they're going back to basics and it was all working for them. Thing is now, as you know, trying to get a coach in, you know, to, to replace him and to replace, the, you know, to sort of carry on the good work is always so difficult. But there seems to be a lot more to it than just, right, I'm on Yeah, maybe you, need to, maybe you need to get on the blower to Joe Simpson again, mate. Get him on the line for next week. It's quite sad when you see that happening. You know, you see a real change and you see them, you know, climbing up the table and, you know, forced to be reckoned with. I remember going down to the shed and uh, I hated it. I don't know what you felt. I mean, I, especially when I was playing for Bristol, I hated it because the, the crowd were always on your back and giving you abuse. And uh, it well, was... You wanted was, your forward pack to front up down there, didn't you? Oh, bloody it. hell. You did. Wonderful. Oh, if they didn't front up, you were in trouble. A lot of trouble. Uh, they were brutal. They were brutal. They, I remember they would... They would tend to win almost all the home games and um, and sort of not be so well on the road. So yeah, I mean, our fingers crossed for them now. I, I hope I hope they're going to be okay. Who, who do you reckon might come in then? Well, names have been touted about, haven't they? Uh, Die Young, Rob Howley, uh, a few others have been touted about. I, what I mean, about I, you? I, what about you? Yeah, I put my hands up. Going up. I, I'm, I'm in the have mix. No, that's great. Oh, you're not. Um, It'd be interesting because you you know what else might happen is you know they, they might promote from within. Um, uh, look, it's it's early days. It's, it, it's, it's early days, isn't it? It's just come on, Nick. Can you see yourself off in Gloucester? I could just see it now in your red and white shirt. I wonder. I wonder if I upset him when I used to play there. I actually <laughs> used to love, mate. I used to love playing there. Love, yeah. Um, yeah. You know that, that there and Leicester. Probably my two favourite grounds, you know, back in the day when, you know, they were tough places to go and win. I mean, they still are, but, you know, they were more yeah. so tough places to go and win. And the crowd were on your back, but they respected you. You know, if you, you as a team or as an individual putting up a good ball, they respected you. Real rugby guy, people, yeah. you know, understood the game very, very well. Used to have, you know, great conversations with the fans afterwards in the car park. Yeah. And you used to go into, not Teague's actually. It was the other bar, got what it's called. We right. always used to say we we're going to go to Teague's bar. <laughs> but we uh, we only went there a couple of times because I think straight across the road, God, I forgot what it was called. Do you remember the pub across the road? Always used to go in there. Yeah, right? yeah. I remember. I can't, I can't remember the name. Court. I just remember every, great, every, great time, away trip. every time I made a mistake, I remember like when you go out and warm up on the pitch in front of the shed and I'd do some box kicking just to see 
you know, with the wind was like, I do a few box kicks, and if one went straight out, then I'll go, oh. And then when I was playing, if I did a bad pass, they'd just ruin, they'd just ruin you, absolutely ruin you. They were great. They were brilliant. No, it's a good mate. It's one of the uh, great grounds and uh, clubs in, in in English rugby, and world rugby, actually. And uh, yeah, it's interesting, as I said, go and find out from your mate Joe. But, uh, you know, he's, right. he's done some brilliant work there and, was it 17, 18, 18 nights so two and a half seasons and or just over? Um, but maybe there was Might, an offer. Listen, maybe, maybe, be... maybe there was an offer too good to refuse. Yeah, maybe the money. Maybe they've come in and said, "Look, you know, you're two, three, four hundred grand. You're on twenty five percent pay cut or whatever or more." Well, that's the interesting thing in Japan, isn't it? Is um, they're, they're all companies. Um, the yeah. teams, they're all companies, and, and there's about four roughly four or five professional players they got to pay. Yeah. So everyone else is on the company payroll. So if that particular company hasn't been that hard hit, like mm. an entire rugby organisation would have, would be from sponsorship yeah. to new rights and everything, you're not reliant on that as much. No. Then, you know, that, that could be very enticing for coaches. And as we discussed earlier for players, is Japan, yeah. you know, could be stronger from a financial position, the club game, um, out of this. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Thanks very much for listening to us and Rucket. Don't forget to listen, subscribe and review on your favourite podcast platform. Stay safe and take care and we'll be back next week. Rocket.